today I just want to uh, entitle this The Cornerstone of Grace. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Um, there's a lot of passages in the New Testament that actually refer to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And here he says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is the Apostle Paul, of course, he's writing to the church at Ephesus here. And he tells them that they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? And so look over at somebody beside you and tell them you're a saint. Now, you, listen, you really are if you're born again. How many heard people say, well, I'm not trying to act like a saint or anything, but, and then they fill in the blank. Don't do that because you're denying who you are. And that's being a hypocrite. So claim, claim your identity as a saint. All the letters in the Bible, this one I'm reading, the book of Ephesians, all the epistles are written to the saints, right? So if you're not a saint, don't read somebody else's mail, okay? So you are a saint. The Bible's written. The epistles are written to the saints. And he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then he says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, he's talking about not a literal building, of course, but us, the body, the building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's why some people don't see the importance anymore, and especially in the day we're living in, with the, with the corporate gathering of the church. How many knows one brick laying out on a, on a lot is not a building? It is part of the building, but it needs to be in the building to be connected. I'm not saying you're not part of the body of Christ. I'm just saying, in other words, to be a building. How many knows if you've got a bunch of loose brick laying on a lot and somebody walks by, they can just walk and pick one out and take it with them? Easy to do. But if it's part of the building and being concreted in, it's going to be a little tougher. Amen? And if you're a brick or a stone in the building, you've got something supporting you, you've got something that you're reaching out on both sides and something over you and something under you. That's kind of a picture of the body of Christ. And so... Uh, he said you're a building, you're, you've been joined together, you growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You're, you're a dwelling place of God. So I've told you this over and over, but in the new covenant now, this is a habitational culture. This is not a visitational culture. In the old covenant, God would come and visit and then he would leave. He would come upon people and he would come off of people. He would anoint them for a moment or a purpose or a season and then the anointing would depart. That's why David prayed a prayer in Psalm 51 when he had sinned with Bathsheba, Oh God, take not thy spirit from me. Because that would happen and that was appropriate for David in his time but it's inappropriate for anybody today to pray that kind of prayer. Because God now says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And God doesn't visit. He didn't come and go. This is not a revolving door. So this is a habitational culture. You, I still hear churches praying for a visitation of God. I don't mean this mean, but that's just so dumb. You need to realize that the, you know, we're in the new covenant now. This is a habitational covenant because when you're born again, the Holy Spirit has came to dwell within you, and he never leaves you, and he never forsakes you. You can do things and, and cause you know, yourself not to be able to enjoy the benefit of his presence, but he's there. God's not going to leave you because you mess up. God doesn't have any false views of you. God knew what you was going to do, everything you were ever going to do before the foundation of the world. 
And so I want to talk to you today, and, and, and we know who the cornerstone of grace is. I mean, who, who is the cornerstone? What's his name? Jesus. And, and who is grace? What is grace? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so uh, today, that's what I want to talk to you about. Father, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you in the lives of these youth, these people that are graduating and moving into an, another uh, avenue of their life. We just thank you for the glory of God, for this uh, mother, Shawana, and her family and her commitment, Lord God, to just uh, take a turn in her life uh, and turn to you. We just give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. tell somebody that's looking mighty good this morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Hallelujah. Oh, no, you wasn't lying. They are looking good in their spirit <laughs> and in their outside. Amen. Uh, I, I want you to think of a cornerstone. How many knows what a cornerstone is in a building project? A cornerstone, literally. Uh, and, and I want you to think about what it does in a building. It actually sets the boundaries, and especially in older construction. They would set a cornerstone initially. And then they would use it as to set the parameters and the boundaries uh, of a building. But what I want us to think about is I want you to think about what is the cornerstone of your theology. What is the cornerstone of our faith? What is the cornerstone of what we believe about God? Because, listen, everybody in here believes something about God. And, 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 uh, and your view of God uh, is a filter, so to speak. In other words, everything that you see or hear has to come through that filter. A lot of times I'm, I'm, when I'm meeting with people and I'll talk to people and I'll say something, particularly if it's just a weighty thing, I'm saying to them and I'll say now, uh, after I say it to them, I'll say, now what, come, you speak back to me, now tell me what you heard me say. And you know, a lot of times they'll tell me something that I did not say. Well, I heard you say this. I said, I didn't mm, that's not what I said. That's what you heard. Because it's coming through your grid. It's coming through your hurt. Some, some people have been hurt so by men, they can't hardly receive anything that any man says because they see the, the vessel that is coming through. They've been hurt. And I'm not, I'm not uh, marginalizing that or, or, or minimizing that. I'm just saying we all have some type of grid system. And we all see God. And, 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 and I believe the primary purpose of my ministry is to help people to see the God of the new covenant, the God of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I think I mentioned this last Sunday, but I feel a little bit ripped off, really, I do, from religion. I mean, I, I, I wish somebody would have told me when I was 20 how good God really is and was. I mean, I wouldn't have had to have a couple of decades begging him to like me. And I thought everything I did, like praying and fasting and reading the Bible, you know, got me, you know, closer to God. But the Bible says in Ephesians, the only thing that can get you close to God is the blood of Jesus. It says you are all outside the commonwealth and the blessings of Israel. You were lost in this world without hope, without God. But then he says, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you're never away from God. So it's a false teaching to teach anybody that you can get closer to the Lord as a Christian. Thank you for that holy grunt. But it's true. Some of y'all need to buy my book and y'all would get saved and could say amen when I preach the, I got a whole chapter on the myth of more. More of you, Lord. You can't get any more. You've been, you've, you've been given the fullness of God in Christ. There is no more. So if you need more, you didn't get Jesus. Because if you got Jesus, you got it all. There is no more. Now, you may not feel that way, but see, you've got to learn to separate your feelings from your faith. 
It's not how you feel. And I know sometimes you can feel like God's a million miles away, but you've got to understand that that's a, raw, that's a false feeling. God's not up there in the, in beyond the galaxies. He's not out there. He's right here. So if you want to see God, just bow your head. He's in your heart. You don't want to say that. Didn't you ask him in your heart when you got saved? Okay, that's where he's at then. So he's close as, you know, 6, 12 inches, whatever, you know, how long, how big, how long your neck is. I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, God's close. God's in you. You can't get closer to God. You can feel closer to the Lord. Now, obviously, you know, if you're singing, uh, you know, some, some weird, you know, uh, secular song, you know, uh, some, I don't, you know, name something, I might hit some of your groups. But if, you, if you're singing some, you know, something like that, versus singing like we did in praise and worship. Don't you feel closer when you're worshiping God? But see, that's a feeling. But that doesn't mean that, that you've just gotten closer. You're just feeling closer because you're, you're out of your spirit. Let, you know, them that worship God, let them worship him in spirit and truth. So you're just pouring out, you know, out of your spirit. And so the emphasis is not on us loving God, but it's on God loving us. The Bible says that, right? We love him because he first loved us. You ever had somebody tell you, you know, you lost your first love? And they, and they portrayed that to you like your first love was you don't love God no more. So you've lost your first love. And they go over to Revelation to try to prove that. And that's totally false teaching. You, you loving God is not the first love. The first love is God loving you. And not only did God love you, for God so loved and I love that little so in front of it. Now, God didn't say, I love you. He said, I so love you. God so loved the world that he gave. So the direction of love is not from earth to heaven. It's from heaven to earth. And you've got to live with that perspective because if you, if you see yourself trying to stand on your tippy toes to touch God, you're going to get tired real quick. And that's what religion does to you. But you can rest in the Sabbath of the Lord, which is Jesus. Okay. And so that's what Hebrews chapters 2 and 3 teaches us, that there remains a rest for the people of God, and that rest is Jesus. It's not a day of the week. It's not something for you to be prideful about. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. And so the Bible here calls him the cornerstone. And actually, in other places in the New Covenant, it says that, that Jesus, the ones that was, you know, he was rejected by the builders. But he himself, even though he was rejected by the ones that were supposed to be building the kingdom of God, building, you know, the church, primarily talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, they rejected him. It says he's become the chief cornerstone. And so we, we, all of us have a cornerstone or some thought. And, and, and so when you think about a cornerstone, and there's a lot of avenues of this, but a cornerstone, uh, I, I, believe, I believe the cornerstone of grace, just cut to the chase of it, is the goodness of God. I mean, it's just the goodness of God. Now, how is that goodness demonstrated? Well, I think we see it in a lot of ways, multifaceted, tremendous amount of ways. But to me, two of the main ways, sometimes, you know, uh, over the years, and, and, and Ron knows this, one of our elders, and let me just say, man, don't you love and appreciate the elders of this church? You, you see all these elders up here doing all this stuff, and Ken and Ron and Ivory and uh, Andy and, and Crawford, all, all these guys are such a blessing to me. And... Uh, and, and I, I didn't pick them. I inherited them. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? They were here before I got here. And just such a blessing to this house and serves this house and loves you and loves this people and, 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 and you know, and, and just gives oversight to, 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 this, to this body. And so I love and appreciate them. But I remember one time we were talking years ago and, and um, 
you know, we were talking about, well, you know, well, Pastor, what's your, what's your vision? And, uh, you know, and I, I know that got to be a real apropos thing there for a lot of years. What's your mission statement? What's your vision? And all like that and try to get the people to memorize it. I mean, none of that stuff works, man. <laughs> you know, it just don't. I mean, you can get fired up about it for about two weeks, and then they forget it, you know. Uh, when I was an EMS chief in, in uh, Tiff County, you know, the county would always send down different things, or we would put up memos on the, on the you know, bulletin board. And, uh, and whatever the memo was, I would have all the, I had 34 employees, I'd have them to initial that they read it. Why do you think I did that? Because in three weeks, they done forgot it. That's why I ain't never heard that. Oh, is this your initial? <laughs> oh, you heard of it, but you just forgot it in three weeks. That's the human nature of things, to be reminded of those things. And the scripture says that. Paul said, I, you know, I fail not to remind you of the things that I have once spoken to you in the past. And so, so he's speaking uh, those things. But when you're talking about the, the vision, then the vision is real simple. On earth as it is in heaven. I've never changed on that. Somebody comes up to me and says, what's your vision for Grace Point? On earth, and it is in heaven. What's your vision for Valdosta? On earth, and it is in heaven. Because that's God's vision. I'm not going to come up with one. He's already got one. And so the heart of God is displayed in the fact that God wants it on earth like it is in heaven. So the heavens belong to the Lord. Psalm says that. But the earth he gave to the sons of men. He, the earth was a gift to us, to man. He gave it to man. Man didn't steward it very well. And the man turned around and gave it to Satan. So since man gave it away, and by the way, the man's name was Adam, then since Adam gave it away, Adam had to be the one to get it back. And so God became Adam, Jesus, man in the flesh. So man gave the keys to Satan. And so man, Jesus, the last Adam came, got the keys back, and then turned around and gave the earth to man again. Gave the dominion, the authority, the stewardship. Are, are you seeing that? That's how much God loves us. And so, so the, the, you know, God wants it on earth like it is in heaven. Now, I run into this all the time. I talked to a man two days ago, and, um, and he, he was talking to this guy. He had just met him in a few moments of time, and, and he, he said some kind of statement or something, have a blessed day or something. And the guy, you know, the guy just, you could just tell that, you know, went sideways with him. And the conversation just boiled down to this. He said, I, you know, I, I don't talk to God. I'm mad with him. I got an issue with him. And my friend said to this man, well, what, what's your issue with him? He said, well, my wife, got, uh, my wife died over a year ago, two years ago she died with cancer. And he said, I watched her suffer for two years in pain and in, in tremendous suffering with this disease, and I, and, and, I, and I begged God to take her, to just take her and get her out of her suffering, and he wouldn't do it. He said, I don't talk to him no more. I don't understand a God like that. Man, there's a lot of people like that. You understand that? They're angry with God. You know why, you know why that guy's so angry with God? Listen to me. I know this is going to get me some stuff on Facebook. Y'all send it. I'll delete it, okay? Uh, it's, that's how that works. <clears throat> but... Uh, this is it. I wish to God all these preachers would stop teaching that God's in control because he ain't. He's not. He's not in control of the earth and everything that happens on this planet. That's why I devoted in my book the first chapter is God is not in control. Now, every one of you, if I ask you to raise your hand, how many has heard that God is in control? 
And I know that brings some kind of peace and comfort when hell and chaos is going on in the world. Somebody bombs something, somebody goes shooting everybody. But if God's in control, let's just stop prosecuting people for stuff because let's just try to prosecute God. It's his fault. But God's not in control. If God was in control, every chair would be filled, I believe. If God's in control, there'd be a lot of things different on the earth, but God's not in control. And so now I can tell that scares some of you. Well, you're in control. God ain't going to make you brush your teeth. That's up to you. God ain't going to make you wash your car, change oil in your car. God was in control. He'd change oil every time it needed changing. If God was in control, there wouldn't be any child ever molested on this earth. There wouldn't be any baby aborted. If God was in control, there would not be a murder in this county or a shooting or a rape. Because why? I've already told you, on earth, it is in heaven. Any of that going on in heaven? No, it ain't God's will in the earth. See, the second aspect of that cornerstone is displayed in this, in 2 Peter, where Jesus said, It is not my will that any should perish, but what? That all should come to repentance. Repentance don't mean come to the altar and cry and tell me how sorry a person you are, and I'll try to decide if I want to keep you or not. Repentance is a, is a word that means to change the way you think. Change the way you think about what? About God. A lot of you would really worship and serve God if you, if you knew how good he was. But religion has messed that up. And so he says, it's not my will that any should perish. Okay? For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth him should not what? Should not perish. Now that's a whole other sermon, and I'll just drop a little hint in there. But it, it says perish. I wish the church would get a revelation of what the Bible says. That's your choice, either have life or perish. There's been all kind of other lies told to us in the name of God. But you've got to understand this. It's not God's will. So let me ask you this. Do you think anybody's perishing on the earth? Can I get some water, baby? No, i got some. Ah, thank you. I'm, I'm just going to get a drink while you all think about that. Apparently that was a real tough question. Anybody perishing spiritually? Anybody dying lost without God? Really? Is that God's will? Did he plan it? Did God pick some to go to heaven, some go to hell, and ain't nothing nobody can do about it? Is everybody going to heaven? Now some people take the word that says, it's not my will that any should perish, and say, well, everybody, you know, everybody's going to heaven. Well, God's smart enough. He could have wrote the Bible. And it, no apostle, no, nobody, Jesus himself or no apostle that followed him ever said everybody's saved. Never, ever, ever. And there's a very popular gospel called inclusionism that everybody's going to, you know, everybody's going to be saved, including the devil himself. You know, and that, and that wouldn't be a bad deal. I'd be all right, would it? I don't care. <laughs> Boy, it's quiet in here. I'd probably be better if I circle back around and get back on them notes. <laughs> Listen, it's not God's will that any should perish. But there will be, there are people perishing. But God doesn't desire that and he doesn't want it. So you've got to understand that God, 
God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why there's a prayer like that. That thy will be done, where? On earth. How? Like it is in heaven. God wants it done on earth. So, so, and I realize that there's a lot of the church that feels like how that's going to happen is there's going to be a military invasion of earth from heaven. I would like to suggest to you that that's not how it's going to happen. It might just happen by the obedience and the co-laboring and the cooperation of his obedient church being the family and the sons and daughters of God that he called us to be. Just a suggestion. God did not call you to be a soldier in the army of God. <laughs> I know that goes. So you are a son and a daughter. You don't have to fight the devil. Jesus fought him for you. He already defeated him, disarmed him. You don't have to go and get on a plane and fly across to another country somewhere and go on a prayer walk to try to unthrone a principality somewhere. Spend a lot of money, a lot of airplane tickets, and a lot of energy. And you can feel like you've really done something when you get through. Because whoever lead, uh, leads that kind of thing will tell you you did something. But you're trying to unthrone a principality that, number one, you couldn't do to save your life. And number two, the Bible says on that cross, Jesus put down every principality and every power of darkness on that cross. He already finished the work. He didn't say, I almost finished it and I need you to finish it on up for me. Jesus finished all the work and he defeated Satan and brought down the kingdom of darkness on the cross. There's nothing left to do but you believe in it, co-labor with him in prayer. Prayer is not you trying to convince God of the need of humanity. Listen, to beg God to heal somebody on the earth is to say to God that I've got more compassion for them than you do. For you and I to beg God to do something like that and to ease somebody's suffering is to say, I've got more compassion than you do. How about you getting as compassionate as me and help out this person? Prayer is not you trying to convince God of human need. It is for the reason of human need that Jesus came. God knows about the need. Listen, God, God wants us to co-labor. You're not trying to convince God of anything through prayer. You're just co-laboring with God so that his will will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So go back to this man my friend was talking to. This man was very angry at God. This man says, well, sir, I, he said, I don't have a clue what you're going through, for I've never buried my wife nor watched her suffer like that. So let me say that to you first. I don't have a clue of the pain, and I can't imagine what you've gone through. But I will say this to you, God didn't do that to your wife, and he didn't give her that cancer, and it was not his desire nor will for her to suffer one day. Now, right there, some of you are having a big problem right there at that tension because you go, well, if that's the case, then why don't he do something about it? And that's your problem. Why did God let this happen to me? Those kind of prayers already has God charged, guilty, and convicted. You ask the wrong question, you get a wrong answer. I told you this over and over. I go up to a man and said, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Answer yes or no. That man's trapped, right? If he says yes, that means he's a wife beater, but he just don't beat her presently. If he says no, that means call the popo because he's still beating on her. Let's get him man locked up. So what's wrong with the problem? Is the problem the man? No. The problem is what? Wrong question. So if you start with the wrong premise about God and a wrong question, God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? 
then you are, you, you've got a messed up view, and the enemy's got you because he's got you messed up. And so you've got God as a murderer, as a rapist. You've got God as, as just all these diabolical things, and you don't have the goodness of God as a cornerstone of your grace and faith. And you're going to have a you're going to have a tough time serving Him the rest of your life. How are you going to pray to somebody unless that kind of stuff happen? Man, if I thought God was behind all the suffering in my life, I'd throw my Bible in a trash can and be done with it, and you know, go drink a beer. God's not behind that. Now there was a day that I thought He might be, or was it? Because preachers told me He was, and they said everything that happens in your life is because God willed it somehow or another, and God's got a purpose in it. Okay, so what is the revelation of God? Why did Jesus come? You read the Bible, there's a lot of reasons Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the devil, right? How did he do that? By casting out demons and healing the sick that were oppressed by the devil. He did it in a lot of ways. It also says that one time in Luke, uh, I believe it's Luke 9, James and John, you know, John like the loving disciple, they, went, they go to a city to prepare the city to receive ministry from Jesus. The city rejects them, and they don't want Jesus to come, and so they're standing at the city limit sign when Jesus shows up, and, and, and John says, you know, uh, th these people didn't receive us, this city, so shall we call down fire from heaven like Elisha did, and let's burn this thing to the ground. That'll show them. <laughs> There's leaders like that in the body of Christ. <laughs> burn that thing to the ground. Let's, let's turn all these people into charcoal briquettes, man. That'll show them. Y'all should have listened. Turn or burn. <laughs> you know, all that deal. Jesus says, like, Jesus says, John. <laughs> He's like, whoa. <laughs> he said, this is what he says to John, you do not know what spirit that you're in. You're trying to bring an old covenant visitational you don't even understand about into the present. We, mm -mm. I did not come to take men's, to destroy men's life, Jesus said, but I have come to give them life, to save their life. So he came for that. He came to seek and to save that that's lost. But the primary, the way he does all of that is he came to show us the Father. He came to reveal the Father to an orphan planet. They so desperately need to see who God really was. Because under the old covenant from Genesis to Malachi, God was invisible. Nobody had seen God. Nobody. Not his face. God was invisible. He was thundering lightning on Mount Sinai. He was the ground trembling and shaking. Nobody knew what God was really like. But then when Jesus came, they said, show us the Father. He said, you're looking at him. For when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 3 says this. Listen, the New International Version says, He is the exact representation of the Father. The revelation, let me say it like this. Many Christians, listen to me now, listen. Many Christians act as if they did not and do not need the revelation of the Father that Jesus brought us. Why? Because they get their revelation of God, or when they refer to God, they point back to an inferior revelation. I didn't say wrong. I just said inferior. Does not the Bible itself call the old covenant an inferior covenant? So it is an inadequate revelation of God. There is not a complete adequate revelation of God. If they were in the old covenant, Jesus would not have needed to come. He came to save us. Yes, I understand. He came to be sin for us. I understand that. But he came to show us the Father. 
They said, show us the Father. This is the Father. Listen, any, listen, anything you think you know about God, how he is, who he is, what he's like, his temperament, whatever, that you can't prove in the life of Jesus in your Bible, you need to call it into question. Don't go telling me about Job when you talk to me about my father. Because I'm not a follower of Job. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Why I want to go back to an inferior? I'm, I'm not going back to Luminal 4 wrapped around rabbit ears on my TV. I'm not watching snow and barely TV coming through. I'm not watching that. I'm not watching static. I'm watching high definition HG whatever it is now. I can't keep up with it. I'd be wanting some clarity. Even a couple weeks ago, my receiver thing went out. You know, the hopper wouldn't hop no more. <laughs> so then brothers shipped me a new one, you know, and I had to hook it all up and do all that. And so when I got it finally hooked up, you know, process of when I had time to work on it and stuff, and I got it going. And so one of them, you know, things I like to do in the morning is just, you know, turn on the weather channel, just see what's happening, you know. And uh, it ain't even filling up my whole screen. It's, it's in standard definition. I'm like, I'm not having this. Oh, no, you ain't. I'm used to high definition take up my whole TV screen. So I call, I'm out there on the phone, 1-800, you know, fix my dish or whatever deal. And the guy tried to convince me that that's just the way it is. He said, the hopper and all wouldn't have changed your programming. I'm not listening here, man. I said, no disrespect. I'm 59 years old. I know what I ain't. I know what to watch every day. Okay, I've been doing this for years. This is not what I've been watching. So something's amiss. So he said, okay, well let's do this. And so then they go and find out that I, you know, it needs to download some up version of the software or something. Okay, well that took about a day to get that done. But now I'm seeing the brothers in high definition. The clarity is there. You understand? I'm not going back to an inferior. You understand what I'm saying? So don't go trying to bring Job out and try to prove to me who my father is. If you want to prove to me who my father is, bring out Jesus. The revelation of the father that Jesus brought us is not foggy, it's not unclear, and it's not obscure. Everything that Jesus demonstrated was showing us the father. The love the Father has for people in trouble. Woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. Woman, where are you accused? I don't have any. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, all the church wants to focus on is go and sin no more. But they forget that first gift. The gift of no condemnation. Which is Romans 8 and 1. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. There's, what does condemnation mean? Greek word means punishment. She said, I got no punishment for you. Because I'm here to bear all your punishment. I'm here to bear all your punishment. And so, so he said, I, I don't condemn you. That's a gift. Here you go. Grace. No condemnation. Here you go, girl. Now go and sin no more. You know why? What gives a person the power to ever think they could go and sin no more and walk free from that sin? He's talking about go and sin no more in that same sin. Jesus ain't, you know, in delusion. He's not saying this woman's never going to sin again in her life. He's just saying that that sin there don't have power over you because I give you the gift of no condemnation. Now that you know you're not condemned by me, go and don't do that no more. And if you're not condemned by me, what does that mean? You're accepted and loved. You're valued by me. Amen. 
Amen. Come on, give him praise. So, so listen. Got to quit. That clock, I bind you now, you know. Don't worry. <laughs> I've tried to bind calories out of food. That don't work either, man. That don't work either. Um, let me just say this. The revelation of the Father is in Jesus. And if you really want to know what God's like, study the life of Jesus and how he dealt with people. Name me one storm that Jesus ever sent to a town. I want to send a storm over here and redirect it. That'll show them people. That'll humble them and that'll make them seek me. And, and you know, we'll just. So all you preachers that teach that God sent Katrina, you need to get the same Bible I'm reading out of. God's never sent Katrina or any other storm to tear up your stuff or, or drown people. God don't drown people into submission. Amen. God, God, this is not militia, Islamic takeover. This is the grace of God and a loving father reaching out with cords of love to draw you into his heart and say, this is my love and purpose for your life. I'm not going to beat you into submission. I'm not going to force you at the point of a spear to worship me. I'm not going to do that. If God's going to do that, what's he been waiting on? He's never going to do that. That's why we don't understand all the things that goes on the earth because the earth he gave to us, and we've really messed it up, man. But Jesus came and gave us the authority now in our spirit to co-labor with him, to be one with him, and just say, God, we want your will done on earth too. So prayer is not some kind of struggle. Prayer is just saying, Father, what's your will in this situation? They was always trying to trap Jesus. Disciples walking by, they see a little, they see a, a man there blind, and then they go, wait a minute now, Jesus, who sinned? This man that he was born blind or his parents? I know one of them sinned and you're just paying them back. Jesus said neither. Actually, in the Greek, it says no. No. And then it says, but this is for the will of the Father. Now, some people have twisted the scripture to make that say that God, you know, made that person blind so that he could turn around and have somebody to heal. Are you kidding me? How are you going to worship a God would just arbitrarily do that? Or give a kid Down syndrome to help you to learn to be, you know, loving and patient or something. God doesn't do any of that. This is a fallen planet. You understand when I put on a pair of sunglasses, them glasses want to tilt on me a little bit. Tell you some of my secrets. You know why? Never that I put a tape on it, but one ear is a little bit lower or higher than the other. I can't figure out which way it goes. But I mean, every pair of glasses I've ever bought just seemed like they want to be a little bit sideways. So I had to kind of, you know, what you call it, ricking it a little bit. I, I kind of rick them a little bit, you know, get them. Because I want to, I want, when I look in the mirror, I want them boys to be straight across. So I know that one ear is higher or lower than the other. I'm not born perfect. Genetics are involved. Cholesterol problems in family or heart problems or all that kind of stuff. That's why they ask you all that history when you go to see the doctor. You say, well, I got Jesus now and all that goes away. Well, I, I wish it was that like that. You know, you could go alakazam, alakazam, and it'd be, but it just doesn't work that way. But your spirit now. Is brand new when you got born again. And God is a healer, and God is a deliverer, and God is stronger than any kind of genetic and heritage thing that you've got. So I'm not saying don't have hope. 
But you have to see God through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus didn't ever say to somebody, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I want to be healed, Jesus. Well, let's see. It's not God's will to heal you. God's trying to teach you something. He healed anybody. You can't find me one person. Jesus healed everybody that ever came to him. Everybody. Right? Healed every one of them. Okay, Pool of Bethesda. Remember that? It's where all these sick people hung out. Right? Now, this is at a feast. So they're not there seven days a week, 365 days a year. So all these people are brought in there during the feast when the feast days are going on. So there's hundreds of people probably around this pool of Bethesda. You know why they were hanging out there? Because they heard a rumor. It was, and that's really what it was. That at a certain time that an angel would come down from heaven and he would stir the waters. And the waters would bubble up. And then the first one into the pool would get their healing. So if you're the second one, ah, tough cookies. Try again next year or whatever. Now, how many of you have heard sermons about God stirring the waters, y'all better get in? Or God's trouble, get in while the waters is troubled. Or God's stirring the waters. Or, you know, and I don't mean this mean, and but we do things out of ignorance, and, and other preachers do things because they saw another ignorant preacher do it, and they copy it. But in one town, this preacher went down to Walmart or Fred's or wherever you want to go, dollar store, and bought that little blue plastic pool, filled it half full of water, and got him a revival, and you got the pool right here in the middle of the church. And he preached all week, God's troubling the water right now in this city. I don't play none of those games. And then he had the people coming down and taking their shoes off and jumping in the water. And then some of them would jump in the water and fall out and this and that and all that. Now, I don't mind you doing all that as long as when you get through, them people that were dying of cancer ain't got cancer no more. I mean, let me see the results. But if all we got is a bunch of people all emotionally stirred up with wet feet, <laughs> man, I can go to see better shows than that in Vegas. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Do you know if you read a, a New International Version or some of these other Bibles, you'll see about three or four verses missing out of that section because about the angel troubling and all that. It's not even in the original text. But it was added by the translator so you would have some clue as why these people are hanging out around this pool. Now, how many of you here, and I'm closing with this, how many of you really think, and I know I've said this before, but some of you never heard it. How many of you think that that's how God is, that he heals like that? It's a contest with him. He sends an angel. So look at all them sick people. Man, there's a bunch of them. Angel, go down there and cause that water to bubble. Now, once the water bubbles, that's like a starting pistol. And they're off. And we got a blind man coming up on the outside. And we got a crippled man coming up on the inside. And here comes a lame man. And this man's crawling on his elbows. He's working his way down to the pool. Who's going to get in first? Who's going to get in? Oh, it's the blind man. Glory to God. You got your sight back. Tough for all you other people. I'm telling you, you don't get this everywhere, man. You don't get this everywhere. Now, do you actually think, come on now, let's just quit religion for a second. Do you actually believe that that's in your Bible and that's how God heals sick people? Come on. Wouldn't that be sadistic, cruel, malicious? Does that sound like a loving father that would do that? 
And let me say this, the person, the one person that got healed, if, the, if it happened today like Pula Bethesda deal, you know what the news reporters would be doing? They wouldn't be interviewing that one guy that got healed. They'd be going to them, all them other people. How does it make you feel that Jesus passed you by? How do you feel that he, he healed that guy, but you're still here crippled? How does, you know, how does that make you feel, sir? That's what the news media would do. And, and, and we've got to learn to do what the Bible does. The Bible, and, and, and so why would they do that? And, and the point is this. Most of the church, listen, most of the church today has built their theology of God based on what God doesn't do. Or about, based on what doesn't happen, in other words. So in other words, because everybody don't get healed, they say, well, it's just not God's will to heal everybody. God don't do that no more. Or I prayed for my grandmama. She was great. And if anybody's ever going to make a head, it was going to be my grandmama. And God didn't heal her, so he don't heal nobody. It's ridiculous. Why don't we just celebrate the person that God did heal? Why don't, we just, why don't we learn to celebrate what God does do through the faith and cooperation of his people that laid hands, that believes God? Because this is not about, but Jesus said to that person, do, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Yeah, I, 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 but I don't have nobody. He didn't say, yeah, he just said, I don't have nobody to put me in the pool. And every time I try to get in, somebody steps down before me. Isn't it sad for people to believe in a myth and think that's going to get them, you know, what they need from God instead of just believing in God? Just believing in his goodness, that cornerstone of grace. That's who God is. God's a God that loves people. He just wants you. It's your faith in him. He told them over and over, your faith. Faith in what? Faith in faith? No, faith in him. That's what's made you whole. See God through the eyes of Jesus. If you're angry with him today, you think God took your baby, I'm sorry somebody lied to you. He didn't. God's never given anybody cancer because he's never had cancer and he can't give you what he don't have. God's never made a person sick. He didn't come to take life. He came to give life. And there's a lot of things in this world, so many things I don't understand. And if you're, if you're not careful, this is how you'll start your prayers. Well, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Listen, I understand. I've been there. But instead of going on and spending hours telling God what you don't understand about him and his word and all that, why don't you just say, this is what I do understand. I know this, that you're good, that you're God, that you love me. There's so much I don't know, but I know this, you're not a killer. You're not a destroyer. The enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy, but you've come that I might have life. So, Father, I'm praying to the one that gives life, and I bless you for that life that you've given me. And just, and, and just see where it goes from there. Okay? The cornerstone of grace is the goodness of God. And I pray that you, that you see that in Jesus and that you don't go to an inferior revelation to try to prove that God's this or God's that. Listen, the old covenant was the question. Jesus is the answer. Don't go back to the question. Go to the answer. Anything that you think you know about God, if you can't prove it in Jesus, you need to question it. Jesus is the full revelation of a loving father to an orphan planet. Can you say amen? Stand with me, please. All right.